0: Chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. Let me get my glasses out where I can read here. Sorry about that. It says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood, by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the Uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, and to birds, and to four footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now, as we read this set of scripture, this scriptures here this morning, we see a a a different tone than the last couple of weeks of what we've been looking at. We've been reading Paul's letter, his introduction to the church at Rome. But what do we see here? We see a whole different beast. Uh, Last week, Paul ended his declaration uh, with his declaration, or I should say, that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ is how we ended last week. And where we pick up this week in verse 17 is a continuation, if you will, of that declaration. He's still addressing the church directly. He's told them, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And then we see here where he gets to verse 17. He says, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now I've read that verse for many, many years. In a lot of years, I would read that verse and it would just, I just I just didn't get it. I mean, it just didn't click with me. Paul, what in the world are you talking about when you say faith to faith? I, I just didn't get that. It just took me a while to really understand and to get that. But if we look at that little preposition that is in there faith to faith what paul said that greek word that we translate as to is actually ice that's the way it's pronounced it's spelled e-i-s in english transliteration but the greek word is uh ice and it means this it's a primary preposition it means to or into get this indicating the point reached or entered Okay, so this is what Paul is saying. This is what he's saying with this this verse here in 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. When we begin in our faith, we continue in our faith. And if we stay in our faith, our faith grows stronger. That's simple enough, right? Simple enough. It worded a little bit different, worded a little bit hard for me at the time as I was reading it. But when I began to look, when I began to study that out, I realized what Paul was telling us. You've got to hang on in the faith. You've got to be strong in the faith, church. And that's what he was doing. He said that the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now here Paul was quoting Habakkuk 2, 4. That's where he quotes from. Over in the Old Testament, yes, they lived by faith in the Old Testament as well. Did you realize that? They did. live by faith in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, Habakkuk 2-4, if you've ever heard of a guy called uh, Martin Luther, who nailed the 95 Theses to the church at Wittenberg back in 1517, October 31st, 1517, he nailed those 95 Theses to the church. The reason... That he got so bent out of shape and and fall out of favor and fall out of a uh, belief with the Catholic Church is Habakkuk two four he found that verse over there you see Martin Luther uh, lived his life uh, racked by guilt from sin and and who amongst us is not there who amongst us is not there but you see the way the the uh, the uh, uh, medieval church did things. You see, they they taught a system of works. In other words, you had to uh, punish yourself in order to repent or do penance for your sin. So that's where they get the flagellation and all that stuff. They would beat their self. uh They would cause themselves uh, harm and everything. They would uh, torture their own selves. In other words, to pay penance of their sin. And Martin Luther did this, kept doing this, kept doing it, kept doing it. Guess what? He kept feeling guilty. He kept feeling ashamed. He kept feeling like, uh, my sins are still there. What's going on? I'm not, I'm not punishing myself enough. And he got so distraught he was going to travel down to Rome and to see the Pope to figure out, surely he had the right answer to this. Surely he knew what was going on. And on his travels down there, he went through this town and he, and he met with a, an old monk over there, an old priest, and he, and he was talking to him and telling him about it, what was going on. And the priest, this was all he told him. He said, You'll find I believe you'll find your answer in the book of Habakkuk I, I believe you'll find your answer in the book of Habakkuk so he goes and gets the scriptures and begins to study it out and that's the verse Habakkuk 2 4 Habakkuk mentions over there and the just shall live by their faith and it blew his mind because you see all he would been taught all he had been taught is that you could only be forgiven of your sins if you did something and uh, punished yourself uh, so that you could be forgiven. And here's Habakkuk saying, no, you must have faith. If you don't have faith, it's no good. The just shall live by their faith. And Paul picks that up here. And a matter of fact, it's all through the book of Romans. It's all through his epistles. We see that. Paul says the just shall live by their faith. Look what he says in the next verse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Whoa. Am I still reading the same scripture? is, is, Is this, yes it is. Now, you see, Paul has been writing to the church and he's been, oh, this greeting is just like, oh, so I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to come and preach the gospel. Uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Whoa, what happened in verse 18? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. This we see changes directly the tone of Paul's letter. I want you to notice that in the verses that we've read in previous weeks, verses 1 through 15, Paul uses the word you, yours. Our, your, he uses those singular words. He uses those 15 different times. So what? Well, then you get to 16 and 17 where Paul gives the declaration, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And then he ends this with the just shall live by faith. There's a little break in between there in verses 16 through 17. And then when you get to verses 18 through the rest of the chapter in verse 32, you won't find the word you or yours anymore. It switches over to they, them, their, or themselves. And you'll find those words 22 times Over this week and next week. You'll see that. Over the course of this week and next week, you'll see they, them, their themselves 22 times. Where we didn't see it at all the first two weeks. We saw you and yours. Paul was talking to the church. You, I can't wait to come to you. I can't wait. I pray for your faith. I see that your faith is strong. But here in verse 18, what happens? Paul says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. You see, he changes that. He's been writing to the church in Rome. I love you. I pray for your faith. I can't wait to see you. And then here in verse 18, it's like Paul just is in another place. And I want you to see that. I want you to understand that as we go forward from here to the rest of the chapter. We have to understand that Paul, writing this letter to the church over there in Rome, and you know, I was telling them about this in Sunday school this morning, and uh, that that church is there, it's on fire for God. Okay, it, it is. They're they're doing a great work over there, but they live in a place. They live in a place where there's a system, a uh, uh, an old idol worshiping priesthood system set up in that very same city. In other words, or an uh, in instance, they they lift up the emperor. They worship the emperor over there. the The Romans practiced what we called emperor worship. In other words, that's for the early. Uh, persecutions come from. You had to go up to the town that you lived in. They had an altar set up. They had a little fire burning. They had a little bowl of incense here. And you had to take a pinch of incense and you had to sprinkle it in there and say, Caesar is God, and go back home. And they'd give you a certificate. He's good to go. He's an idol worshiper. Uh, no, you know, and you were fine. That's all you had to do. But you see, the Christians wouldn't do that. The Christians wouldn't do that. And you see, that that pagan idol system exists in the city of Rome. That's where it's centered at. And in just a little while, Satan's going to try to marry the two. We'll get to that. But you see, Paul turns 180 degrees from his greeting to the church at Rome. And he turns and begins to look, because when we see these next... Uh, few verses that we're going to read when we see the rest of the chapter. And it's not like it is he's looking at America in 2016. I mean, because it will read exactly like that. But he's looking at lost humanity. That's what he sees. Notice what he says in this 18th verse. For the wrath of God, Notice what he says about the wrath of God. There's four things he mentions about the wrath of God. Number one, it's revealed from heaven. It's not of men. It's not my wrath. It's not the wrath of the church. It's the wrath of the living God. This is what Paul is talking about. You see, this is a marked change from what he's been telling the church. I love you. I'm praying for your faith. I want to come and preach for you. Listen, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Paul turns around and presents a picture, not just to the church at Rome, but to the church of the living God. The church throughout time immemorial, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. What's it revealed against? Against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. That pretty much covers it, don't it? All ungodliness and unrighteousness. The wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and righteousness. Well, who's doing this? Of men? Yeah, you got that. You know who that is. Mankind. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. It's revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, and it's revealed against mankind. What mankind? Those who hold the truth in unrighteousness. And you know, a lot of people. Well, truth. What is truth? No, don't give me that. No, you know the truth, and we're going. We're going to see that. But I want you to see this verse 18. This is what? This is, I guess this has become one of my favorite sayings. The gauntlet has been thrown down for the book of Romans. Paul has thrown down the gauntlet for the book of Romans. Because you see, when we when you go through the book of Romans, we're just studying the first chapter, because this is what I want us to see. Because most of the time, when we consider the book of Romans, it's like. Oh, the book of Romans. The grace of God is revealed. of uh, The love and the sovereignty of Almighty God. of uh, The presence of God uh, through the moving of His people, through the church, and through the nation of Israel is revealed. Yes, it is. All those things are true. But what we have to see is what Paul started out with here in chapter 1 is that the gauntlet is thrown down on the grace of the living God. You have to understand who that grace is given to. You have to understand why that grace has been revealed to a lost and a dying world. You see, it's not so you can feel good about yourself. It's not so you could have self confidence in what you do and all that bunch of foolishness and all that bunch of baloney. It's not so mankind uh, can be uh, nice and uh, kind to one another and all such as that. Uh, no, it's so uh, that the glory of God might be accomplished in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's it. It all goes back to Jesus Christ. Verse 18, Paul throws down the gauntlet for the rest of the book of Romans. Verse 19, he says this, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. Now I realize as we go through this message today, you may at one point or another think, man, what is he so mad about? I'm not mad, okay? (laughs) I'm not mad at anybody. I love you. I, I love you to death. I really do. If I didn't, I wouldn't be telling you the truth. But you see, this is the thing that a lot of churches today are leaving out. All right? They're leaving out the sin part. They're leaving out the repentance part. They're leaving out the blood part. All they, the, the love, the kindness, the faithfulness, all, all that's good stuff. But when we get to this stuff right here, they leave a lot of that out. But when you leave this out, guess what? You miss the gospel. You miss it. Because that's what the gospel is. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. That word manifest simply means to be made clear. It is clear in them. Who? Of mankind. That which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. This is simply Paul's setup for what what I will call probably the most impactful verse there is in Scripture besides Genesis 1-1. Now you know a few months ago I... I talk to you, Uh, we brought a message on Genesis 1-1, what I called it, the single most powerful verse in the Bible, and I I believe that, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, period, most impactful, most powerful verse in all of scripture, if you can believe that, if you can hold on to that, if your faith is in that, the rest of scripture is all, I mean, you got it. You got it. If you can understand and know in your faith that God has created everything, that everything exists on Him, the rest of Scripture is not so hard. Now, if you're trying uh, to wrestle with Jesus and wrestle with the God and, and humanity and all that, apart from believing that, you're going to have a hard time. But you see, that verse is probably, uh, this next verse is probably the next most impactful, apart from. That verse, Genesis 1-1. And that verse 19 is the setup for that. What does Paul say? Because that which may be known of God is made clear. Get this. I wanted us to go slow through this on purpose. Because that which may be known of God is made clear. Now, we've all heard things like, well, if I just knew who God was if God could just reveal himself to me, if I could just see the evidence of God somewhere, if God could just talk to me, what does Paul say? That which may be known of God is clear in them. Who's them? Mankind. He established that in verse 17. Verse 18. Mankind. In them. It's made clear in them. Get this. For God hath showed it unto them. This is not my words, people. This is, not my, this is not the words of the Southern Baptist Convention. This is not the words of any Baptist, any denomination. This is not the words of any man. This is the words of the Holy Spirit inspired here on the pages of Scripture. For God hath showed it to them. What's He showed them? His righteousness, His wrath. It's revealed. And get this. Here we go. This is this is the verse. This is the verse. I mean. As Genesis one one is to the Old Testament, Romans one and twenty is to the New Testament. Because what Paul does is he takes the stake of authority uh, on the writing of his word, and he reaches back into Genesis one chapter one verse one, and he drives that stake in there, and he drives it into the ground, so that this verse is anchored directly to that verse. There can be no misunderstanding whatsoever. What does he say? For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. They. Who's they? Mankind. Right here. They are without excuse. For the invisible things. I looked that up. I figured there might be some profound meaning there. Uh, Greek meaning behind invisible. Uh, But uh, uh, that Greek word that is translated invisible uh, in the Greek means invisible. (laughs) Nothing profound there. It means invisible. It means things that can't be seen. What does it say? What's Paul saying? For the things that we cannot see of God. What, we, what we've never beheld with our eyes from God. Guess what? Those things from the creation of the world are what? Clearly. Clearly seen. Not just hinted at. Not just hoped for. They are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made, that's us, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You see, some theologians, some scholars, and all such as that uh, may argue about this. They may uh, bring up uh, some uh, disagreements with this. uh, But the the facts are clear from what Scripture tells us. If we never picked up a Bible, if you never sat in a service and listened to the gospel preached, if you never had conviction move upon your heart, you cannot still stand before God uh, with an excuse. You cannot stand before him because the things that he has made are clear indications of his power, his glory, and his majesty. Psalm 19 says it all, that heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 8, Psalm 19, all those. These things are evident. The things that we can't see from creation are clearly seen by us, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power in Godhead, so that they are without excuse. This is the stake, okay? This is the stake that Paul has driven and which all of Romans, the grace, the salvation, the hope, the eternal security that is taught about in Romans are all staked right here. They're all staked right here. What's he talking about? You see, the majesty and the power of all creation is self-evident. And on this fact alone, all mankind can be held accountable. There is no excuse no one is going to stand before God. You know, I've heard people talk about, well, what are the people that don't know the gospel? What are the people that's never heard about Jesus? You know, those uh, uh, tribes out there in the middle of nowhere, and it's like, no, 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 no. No. There is no excuse. There is none. Were well, you saying God's going to throw somebody in hell that's never heard the gospel? No, that's not what I said. I said there is no excuse. No one will be able, no one will come before God. No one will stand before the, the judgment seat of Christ with an excuse. Whatever he has done, whatever he has accomplished, whatever he, as, as Paul said before, uh, as uh, the, the Lord Jesus Christ himself will judge in the day, there will be, no excuse. Paul goes on, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened. Okay, Paul, is writing to the church over there. Uh, he's changed his tone. He's gone down this road and telling them what? He's uh, telling them about the people uh, that the wrath of God has been revealed against. He's telling them about the judgment of, Of the coming God. He's telling them about the characteristics of the people. Of which are lifting themselves up against Almighty God. Then he's told them there will be no excuse. No man will be able to offer an excuse before God. It cannot be done. Then he says this. But when they knew God. They glorified him not as God. Get that now. Get exactly what Paul is saying. When they knew God. You see what we're dealing with here? You see what Paul is talking about here? You see why it's more than just he's writing just a nice letter to the church at Rome? No, Paul is casting out the net through all of known humanity. He's casting out the net uh, from uh, uh, 70 A.D. to 2016 A.D. He's casting out that net and saying, Look folks, this is what you've got to understand. Not only will they rebel against God, not only will they oppose God, but they'll do it knowingly. When they knew God. We're talking about a people who know God exists. There is no excuse. They know God exists. And yet what? They glorified Him not as God. If that's not America 2016, I don't know what is. If that's not the world and the society that we live in, I don't know what is. It scares me to death to think that Jesus Christ Himself said, As it was in the days of Noah, And I'm like, how can it get any worse? How can it get worse? But it's going to. It's going to. Notice what Paul is saying. When they knew God, and yet they glorified Him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Notice the people that we're dealing with. This is the people that the church will be dealing with in the days to come. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now, I've told you about, you've heard me talk about this before. When I, you know, uh, when I was growing up, uh, you know, there were some words you didn't use. And that right there was one of them at our house. You didn't call nobody a fool. As a matter of fact, I've told y'all, I was probably 18 or 19 before I ever said that word. I was scared to death of that word. Don't, don't say fool, dog. You get the wrath of God will come down. Uh, but notice what Paul is saying. Notice what he's saying to his letter about these people who know who God is, yet do not glorify them. What do they do? Profess themselves to be wise. Wait a minute. We live in the most technologically advanced society that has ever existed, don't we? We're pretty smart, ain't we? we? We got the internet, man. I mean, hey, I'm hooked up right now. You, you can you can get on your phone and order a pizza and have it ready for you when the service is over with. I mean, we got there. We are technologically advanced. We can do things no other society, or no ever people has ever done before. We are wise. Yet. We are fools because of what our society has chosen to profess and believe. What does Paul go on to say? Verse 23, and changed the glory, his glory, the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. And here we go. Paul, once again, steps on this. He gives us us a platform for the next few verses that we're going to get into next week. Wherefore God also gave them up. Because people will look at that and say, God has abandoned them. God has abandoned. God has turned his back on them. Oh, no, no, no. You better back it up. You better get it in reverse real quick. Because God in his mercy and his grace has done everything, everything possible to show mercy and grace to a lost humanity. Everything he has done. He has not turned his back. He has not forsaken anyone. We have forsaken him. He has never forsaken us what this means God gave them up you think of it this way think of a judge sitting on a bench and the defendant comes in gives his plea i'm not guilty your honor <coughs> you sure that's what you want to plead i'm not guilty you sure sh- i'm not guilty get on with it and then they have the trial and all the evidence is brought forth and guess what it ain't no doubt it ain't no doubt you guilty I don't care what you say, you're guilty. What does the judge have to do? The judge what? Gives them over to the bailiff to be taken away to punishment, to prison, to whatever the punishment is. The judge gives them over to them. The judge does not choose that for that defendant. You see? They don't bring somebody in off the street and the judge looks at them and says, I really don't like you. Go 60 days. No, you can't do that. No, you see, this person has to do something. They have to be guilty of a crime or they have to be accused of a crime and then the charge is brought against them. And what God has done, is He has sent an advocate for you and I, an intermediary for you and I to intercede on our behalf so that when we're brought before the judgment seat, no No contest. I plead the blood. That's all I got. That's all I've got. That's all it takes. Amen. That's all. You see, that's what God wants us to get. There's no, we're not going to work our way. We're not going to do good deeds in heaven. No, the blood's all you got. So it says, when Paul said, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness, don't you dare think God abandoned them. No, they have abandoned God. They have turned their back on Him. And we're going to see that phrase, gave them up, gave them over, two or three more (coughs) times next week as we get into that. But listen, this week, this is what we're looking at. This is what I want us to think about in our invitation. Come on, Brother Mel. This is what I want us to consider. is that the world that you and I live in Yes, they chose to dishonor God. They chose to uh, ignore Him, even though they know Him. And it would seem like we as a church, well, uh, there's no hope. Let's give up. Don't, there's nothing we can do. But we have been called. We have been called. To what? Go out, make disciples, teach Preach. We're on a rescue mission. Heard me talk about that before. Rescue mission. It's like these these stories you see on TV, these movies that you hear about. These people that do extraordinary events in the times of war, in the times of disaster, these types of things. You know, we see that. We see the, the triumph of the human spirit, if you will, coming through in all these things. Well, this is what the church has been called to do is to proclaim the triumph of the Holy Spirit, the triumph of the blood of Christ to a lost and a dying world. One day, one day we'll give an account for everything. One day we'll stand before him. But listen, this day, today, this day that we have been given, we're called, we're called to lift him up, to proclaim him. To live for Him. When my speech, when the words come out of my mouth, it should be to bring Him honor and glory. When the thoughts run through my mind, it should be to bring Him honor and glory. When these feet are walking somewhere, it should be to bring Him honor and glory. When these hands are doing something, it should be to bring Him honor and glory. Paul, writing to the church over there. You see, he knew Paul talks in his letters about seeing a vision. And and I kind of believe that Paul saw the same thing as John saw when he wrote Revelation. I think Paul saw a lot of the same things in his vision. And Paul realized that the church was going to deal with some tough times later on. He realized that All that there that existed in the city of Rome was going to be merged into with the church. That the church was going to become uh, nothing more than a a center for idol worship and a a center for things uh, that was ungodly. And Paul was saying, don't do it. you got to hold on, church. you got to keep hanging on. You've got to go what? As faith to faith. You've got to stay in that faith. You don't give in when the going gets tough. Because guess what? Just like Paul was telling us about this, this bunch of ungodly people, these people that, that, that know who God is yet deny Him, how in the world do you think they're going to treat somebody who proclaims the blood of Christ? How do you, how, what kind of attitude do you think they're going to have toward the church of the living God? You're gonna say, "Oh, it's all right, y'all can. We don't mind y'all being here. Y'all just, you know, just go ahead, and uh, we'll just be over here, and y'all be over there, and y'all." Be. No, no, no. You will see exactly what we see today. You see a concerted effort from organizations, from governments, from people, from society in general, to silence those who would proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's what you see. Paul knew this, but you see. Today, church, we've been called to live for him. If this is your calling, if this is the day that you have come this way, that the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Paul himself, remember he wrote this uh, letter to the church at Rome, he wrote that letter to the church at Corinthians, remember what he said, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, if you shall believe in your heart, That God hath raised him from the dead. That he's died for your sins. That he was buried. That he rose again. He died for your sins. What? According to the scriptures. Buried. Rose again. According to the scriptures. You shall be saved. You shall be saved. If that's you today. Don't put that off any longer. Don't put that off whether it's right here at this altar, whether it's where you're sitting at in your seat. Listen now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not teaching it as to, you this stuff. you've got to come down here and cry your eyes out and have some kind of emotional experience. You've got to believe in the Savior is what you've got to do because when you believe in Him, your life is going to be changed. Your life will never be the same. I'm not talking about some emotional experience. I'm talking about something that will change your life. That's a belief in Jesus Christ. You've got to believe in Him. Because when you believe with all of your heart, with all of your soul, it changes who you are. It cannot but do that. If that's you, whatever, if you want to come down here, you want to talk, you want to pray, however you want to handle it, we'll do that. Let's do that. But if there's something else that you need to deal with, something, a burden or something you've got to pray for, listen, these altars are open. I want you to come and pray. So this is our prayer today that if you're here today and lost, that this would be the day that they make it right with you?